Let's pray. What can we say, O Lord, but give thanks and praise and magnify your name? For where would we be without our Jesus, who bore the penalty in himself on that cross at Calvary, paying the horrible penalty for our transgression? And because he paid the full price, we have been set free. And we will be those on Jesus' right hand and not on his left on that great last day and that day of judgment. And we thank you that we will be acquitted on that day, not because of anything we have done, but because of the righteousness of Christ that has clothed us And in Jesus, we are completely healed and sinless in him, not of ourselves. So we thank you. Always help us to be thankful for what Jesus has done for us. We pray in his blessed name. Amen. Well, we're in John chapter 12. And we're going to take a look at verses 12 through verse 19 this evening, dealing with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This event, well, let's back up for a moment. Jesus has healed Lazarus. He has raised him from the dead. And it becomes very apparent why Jesus waited deliberately not to go to Bethany to heal Lazarus of a a grave illness. He deliberately waited until he died because the purpose was not just to heal him from his affliction in that sense, but to raise him from the dead. And he wanted all these Jews to be present because Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem. So when the word came that Lazarus had died, all of these Jews had come to the house of Lazarus where Mary and Martha lived in that house, his sisters. So there was a large group of Jews who were mourning and trying to comfort Mary and Martha. And we see that, so on the tail of that, Jesus, we are told that the Passover was, was nearing and that the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, was looking for Jesus. They were always upset with him. They were already planning and plotting to find a way to kill him. And uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees, had, verse uh, 57 of chapter 11, had given orders that if anybody knew where he was, they wanted to know Uh, that they might seize him. And we saw that Jesus comes to Bethany uh, where Lazarus was reclining at table and that's where Mary comes and anoints him with this very expensive perfume that we said last week is grown in the Himalayan mountains. That's one reason why it's very expensive. And she's anointing him for his death. The disciples are upset that he's using that, um, that she's using that expensive oil. She says, do not give this woman any trouble. It was Mary that understood that she could see the death of Jesus was imminent, that they were going to eventually get him and kill him. And so she wanted to use that opportunity. And remember, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, Her name will live in memoriam because of that. So Jesus is in Bethany and he is preparing to go to Jerusalem. People had wondered in chapter 11, is he going to come to the feast? And they wondered whether he would come because they knew that the Jews were wanting to kill him. So the people didn't know. 
But Jesus is going to show up. And he's going to show up in a tremendous way. Now this event of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is of so great importance. All the gospel writers mention it. And we'll take a look at some of the nuances that each had that adds a very important part of the triumphal entry. So what Jesus does, he is forcing the issue. And while the masses of people were going to see that there was a, a multitude with him in Bethany that had come and witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead or hearing about it. and they were, or, No, they were there when he was raised from the dead. And then we're going to see that there's going to be a, a mass of people who heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead in Jerusalem. And we'll see that those two groups will meet when Jesus comes riding in on a colt, a foal, a, a young donkey. Jesus is forcing the issue. Now we know there are times that Jesus escaped when they were wanting to seize him. And it says he escaped in the, the phrase that was listed, because his hour had not yet come. But his hour was imminent. And Jesus is going to force uh, the issue. What better way for those to, who were wanting to know where he is and wanted to kill him, but to come into Jerusalem in a way that he knew that would really upset the Sanhedrin. And we're going to see why it really up, upset them. So when he comes in, he is fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. I want you to turn to Zechariah 9. It's the last book of the Bible of the Old Testament. Now this, his entry is prophesied. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. His entry into Jerusalem, as we're going to see in the text, is an, it explicitly says a little bit later here, it is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, as we said, a great multitude heard that Jesus was coming to the Passover feast. And in verse th three of our text, if, if you take uh, verse 13, that is, that says that that, mult that great multitude took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now what they were doing, they were waving palm branches. Also, it doesn't say here, but in Mark and in Luke, Matthew, it says they were also putting palm branches and other things down at the feet in front of Jesus as he was riding into Jerusalem. Now why uh, palm uh, leaves. Well, in the Old Testament, we will see that the palm tree, its branches were an emblem of rejoicing and triumph. So when the people were waving this, these branches, and throwing them down in front of Jesus, what they were saying, and they were rejoicing, 
before him and they were saying, they were rejoicing that the king had come and it would be victorious. Now, in this regard, this multitude's uh, the people's perspective of Lazarus being raised from the dead, uh, <clears throat> here's what they were thinking. If this man, Jesus, can raise a man from the dead who'd been dead for four days, there is no extent of what he could do. And perhaps this one could finally throw off the Roman occupation at last. Now, you got to remember, Back in John 6, when Jesus had fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, you remember what some of those Jews said? Oh, he's a prophet, because only a prophet could do a miracle like this. They understood when he fed that crowd, probably about 15,000 people. When he fed them with five loaves of bread and two fish, they knew it was a miracle. They saw it as a sign, because it says they saw that sign. And it says that they wanted to seize him, that means kidnap him, and make him king. So now, so they, their idea of this great coming prophet, and we saw that the, the Jews and even the Sanhedrin had a view that the Messiah would be a king and this great king would destroy all their enemies. Well, in one sense they were right, but they were terribly wrong in another because they failed to see that this Messiah would first come as a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant who would die and must die. That is a Messiah they did not understand. So this waving of the branches of the palm tree and Laying him down in front of Jesus was an emblem of joy, of great victory. Now, which explains, you know, is in recorded Jewish history uh, that Maccabees, uh, whose name was Simon the Maccabee, when he entered Jerusalem in triumph, when he, uh, he entered, there was great thanksgiving in Jerusalem. They had palm branches waving when Simon the Maccabee came in, having won a great victory over the Syrians, one of the great enemies. And so it was our custom to do that. And they were doing that to Jesus. Why? This man has raised someone from the dead who'd been dead for four days. And so not only were palm uh, leaves, branches, used as a symbol of a victory. It was also used on one of the three great feasts of the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tab Tabernacles uh, was, had twofold emphasis. One, it commemorated, again, uh, Israel coming out of Egypt and God's provision to take care of them in the wilderness. And secondly, it was, they looked ahead to the coming Messiah from the tribe of David, the son of David, who would be a Messiah and that they would worship this Messiah. So there was a twofold uh, emphasis here in the use of the palm branch. The Passover was near at hand and it was, of course, the Passover was commemoration of God delivering his people from the bondage of Egypt. So you can think about this multitude and they're waving these branches, victorious. The king is here, the king is here. He's gonna deal with the enemies. Just like God had freed them from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. To liberate, these Jews were thinking, here he is, he's gonna liberate us finally from this Roman domination. And so the crowd was shouting, Hosanna. Now, what does Hosanna mean? What were they meaning when they were shouting Hosanna? Well, it means to save now. That's what it means. It is a prayer of supplication to Jehovah by a worshiper who is convinced that the right time has arrived for the defeat 
of their enemies. And that's what they were yelling uh, and shouting in victory and in joy and enthusiasm when Jesus came into the, into the city. It is a prayer uh, that Jehovah will no longer delay in his promised salvation. So these Jews thought, our salvation is at hand. The king is at hand. So the people were basically saying, save us now, Jehovah. And the people had to be, uh, also they had to be thinking of one of the Hallel Psalms. And one of the Hallel Psalms, which is a fulfillment of prophecy, if you were to turn over to Psalm 118, Verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, Psalm 118 is one of six psalms that is most often quoted in the New Testament. It is distinctly a messianic uh, psalm. In fact, take a look at, if you're still in Psalm 118, take a look at verses 19 through 29, and you're going to see that significance. Verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee for thou hast answered me and thou hast become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. See how many times that is quoted. Romans First Peter on that. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do sin prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with the cords of the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Remember, it means Hosanna, save us now. Salvation is now. He's here to finally deal with our enemies. So he's... We see that, uh, and also turn over to Mark chapter 11. To Mark's part in, uh, of regarding the triumphal entry. And I want us to look at verses 8 through 10 there of what Mark says of Jesus' triumphal entry. Mark 11, beginning at verse 8. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is he who is coming, kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. So their idea, save us now, that's what Hosanna means. They understood that this Messiah, the son of David, was going to come and set up his kingdom. See, that's another thing. They didn't understand the nature, the nature of Christ's kingdom. They viewed it a typical per, uh, perception of that and the Sanhedrin 
was that it was a political kingdom, fundamentally. That's where they were wrong in that sense. Jesus made it very clear that his kingdom was not of this world. When we get to John 18, we're going to see, when Jesus, as it's already mentioned, when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate said, are you, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, I am. But my kingdom is not of this world, because if it were, then my disciples would be fighting right now. But because my kingdom is not of this world, I, uh, that my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Of course, Pilate kept saying to him, when he kept being silent, he said to him, you, don't you know I have the power to kill you, to crucify you? And Jesus' wonderful statement, you would have no power except what my Father grants you. <laughs> so the crowd the crowd that was with Jesus coming from Bethany where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So just picture that. He's, all these people coming with him from Bethany two miles away and all those who had heard that Jesus was coming, they meet up together in Jerusalem and they viewed Jesus no doubt as the Messiah King. But we got, like I said, we got to remember their view of the Messiah was an earthly expectation. Now, as Mark said, the crowd was hailing Jesus who would reestablish the kingdom of our father, David. Well, he will. You know, the Davidic covenant that's set forth in 2 Samuel 7 says that one day God is going to sit one of his descendants on his throne forever. Now, that passage in 2 Samuel 7 has a dual uh, understanding. It had reference to Solomon, and it had reference to the Messiah who would come. The one who would come, who would set up his kingdom forever, was, of course, Jesus. Now, when Jesus first entered he was walking, um, when he was in Bethany, he was walking, but when he comes into Jerusalem, he's riding on a foal, a colt, a young donkey. And we ask, you might ask, why a donkey instead of a horse? Well, for one, we're going to see, because the scripture prophesied it would be a donkey and not a horse, but we're going to see the significance of a donkey as opposed to a horse. Now, turn over to Matthew 21, Matthew's version of the triumphal entry, Matthew 21 Verses 1 through 3. It says, And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, that means Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, now this is interesting. <laughs> Jesus says, what's the first thing you realize about that? How does Jesus know in Bethany there's going to be a cult? Because he's God. That's why he knows it. And it's interesting, he says, 
Now imagine if you were the owner and someone, some disciples come up and say, hey, we're untying a ticket. What, what, oh, hold on, what, what are you doing taking my donkey? Well, the Lord has need of them. And what did Jesus say? Well, they're going to say, okay, you can have it. That's exactly what we see uh, in one of the other gospel writers that it says when the owner saw that, said, well, the Lord has that, well, then you have permission to take it. Just always keep in mind this. All prophecy is predestination. By its very nature, it is predestination. I could ask you this. Is there any chance of any prophecy not being fulfilled? Of course not. Why? God is sovereign. And whatever he says, he will do. And whatever he prophesied, he will do. Just like the prophecy of the coming Messiah by Isaiah, that which people sing, you know, at, at this time of the year coming up in Christmas, out of Isaiah 9, about Emmanuel, the, the child of the virgin being born, and all this, 700 years before he was born. Think about it, 700 years, but it was prophesied and it will happen. God, who is not bound by time, what, what is 700 years to God? Nothing. To us, it's an enormous amount of time, but it will take place and Jesus uh, <clears throat> says, he great has that colt and he sits on it, we're told. And here's the thing. The people in Jerusalem, a lot of these people understood the Old Testament better than we, than we might give them credit for. In fact, the fact that they were saying, Hosanna who comes in the name of the Lord, they understood something about the Hallel Psalm of 118. The disciples knew a lot about the Old Testament. Even these fishermen like Peter and Andrew, they knew a lot about the Old Testament. So they should have known that this was a fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on, the, on, the, on a colt. When Zion receives its king, there is no reason to fear. So, why a donkey as opposed to a horse? Well, the donkey is commonly associated with pursuits of peace. You're not going to intimidate someone coming with a donkey, riding on a donkey, as opposed to, as opposed to coming on a horse. The horse is often viewed as a symbol of, of war coming to have to exercise to carry out war against your enemies now which is interesting jesus comes into jerusalem in his first advent on a donkey but how is he coming pictured in revelation 19 on a white horse with a sword as Revelation 19 says, to wage war against his enemies to destroy them, not physically, basically, but as Revelation says, this sword coming out of his mouth. That's an image. I won't go into it, but that's an image in the scripture of the preaching of the word of God. It, It was actually, Revelation 19 is basically a fulfillment of Isaiah 11 by which this sword, this rod of his mouth, by which he defeats his enemies. So the donkey was a symbol of peace. This king, this king Jesus, is a peaceful, gentle Messiah bringing salvation. Remember, Jesus in his ministry said, I came not to condemn but uh, in terms of judgment, but to save. That was his first advent. 
as Jess has been preaching Sunday morning, when he comes again, he is coming as a king and as a king to deal with his enemies, to bring to a consummation all of human history. Oh, if the people had only understood that significance. You know, even Jesus' own disciples didn't understand it. Take a look, turn back to, to John 12, and look at verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So not, not only did the people of Jerusalem, when they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they didn't fully understand the first coming of Christ, the, the Messiah, but neither did his disciples because the scripture says they didn't understand it. Remember I've said before, how do we come to understand spiritual things? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that reveals truth. You and I would understand nothing of the Word of God if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. That's just plain and simple. How Jesus came into Jerusalem riding uh, on a donkey, he, what he was doing he was proclaiming himself as the Messiah. He didn't tell them, oh, no, don't do that. But guess you were telling him, it says, and one of the gospel writers says, there were some of the Pharisees in the crowd telling Jesus, rebuke your disciples, rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be saying this about you. Why are they telling you, Hosanna to you? because they didn't believe he was the Messiah, right? They didn't believe he was that messianic king. So again, you had two crowds, one that had come from Bethany that were there, had witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead. And remember when Jesus, right before he told Lazarus to come out of the tomb, remember it says in John 11 that he raised his... his uh, eyes and he prayed audibly, audibly. And Jesus says, I prayed that these Jews, those around me, might hear that I came from you. Jesus wanted them to hear that prayer. He wanted them to be there that day to see what he was about to do. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, remember what's the purpose of a great miracle? To create This cannot be true. This man been dead for four days comes walking out of this tomb. What are we seeing? And remember, it just, that word spread like wildfire. It already gotten into Jerusalem and people were saying, I got to see the miracle worker. I got to come out and see this miracle worker. Who raises men from the dead been dead for four days? Now, now notice the fact that it was the raising of Lazarus that had the impact. Look at verse 17, John 12. And so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing him witness. They were saying, you got to... It's true, it's true, everything that you're hearing is true. We testify, we're bearing witness. Look at verse 18. For this cause also the multitude went out to meet him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So when the word came, began to spread, all this big, huge crowd saying, this man, Jesus, or that man who raised Lazarus from the dead, 
we got to go see him. And they came out to, to see him. And it says, notice why John says it, why John keeps using the word sign. Well, remember what the theme of the book of John is? We've said numerous times in John 20, there are many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. And lo, if they were, we wrote, uh, if they were, this book could not hold, no book in the world could hold. I mean, that's a metaphor. It means there are many other things that Jesus did never recorded in the scriptures. For what purpose that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have eternal life. So the Jews, those that, were, that witnessed it in the raising of Lazarus, they understood the sign, they saw it, and those in Jerusalem understood it was a sign. And they were bearing witness. Now remember, we, we saw in last week's message, remember when not only did the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, were plotting to kill Jesus, do you remember who else they were plotting to kill? Who wanted they, they wanted to kill? Lazarus. Remember it says they, they were plotting. Uh, chapter 12, look at it. Chapter 12, verse 10. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also. Why do they want to put Lazarus to death? Because he's the focal point. He's the reason all of these people are excited. He's the reason these crowds are gathering. So there's only one way to deal with that. Kill that guy as well. They can't tolerate this to happen. And we see... Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Apparently in the Sanhedrin, there was two parties. You probably, you had a hardline party and more of a mediocre a party. The hardliner says, we need to get him now. He's a troublemaker. We can't allow this to go on. The other group were vacillating. Let's just see. And you see uh, that one party were saying, see, we told you. We told you if you didn't deal with it, what's going to happen? The whole world, the world has gone after him. Now, I know this is an aside here for a moment. In theology, one of the tenets of the doctrines of grace, of limited atonement, is that Jesus did not die for every single human person indiscriminately in the world, but that he died for a limited number, the elect. And our Arminian friends want to tell us, no, he died for the world. The, the word world means the world, means everybody. He died for everybody that has that chance. Let me ask you this. How do you think the word world is being used right here when the Pharisees said, the whole world's gone after him? Did they mean everybody over here in North America, uh, these Indians were down in South America that, where they were, or Australia? Did they know about Australia? No, it, the word world means simply there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people falling in Jesus. And if we don't do something now, it's going to really get out of hand. I want you to turn over to Matthew 21. Again, to... Matthew's version of the triumphal entry. Verses 10 through 7, 10 through 17. Okay. <clears throat> now, this, this is Matthew's account. 
the triumphal entry. Starting in verse 10. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Let me just mention before I go on, there were two cleansings of the temple. We saw one earlier in John. This is the last cleansing of the temple. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done. You know, I think it's interesting that Matthew says they saw the wonderful things. Only saying that only to emphasize just how wicked they were. And the children who were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. Even the young children were shouting this. And he said to them, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes Thou hast prepared praise for thyself. And he left them. Turn over to Luke's version of the triumphal entry. Turn to Luke 19. And look at verses 37 through 44. Now, this is Luke's version. And he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all, for all the miracles which they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. Remember, when he was prophesied, the Emmanuel, what was he prophesied to be? Prince of peace. And that the peace of his kingdom, Isaiah says, there will be no end to the peace of his kingdom. So, <clears throat> verse 39 and some of the Pharisees of the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. Now, why did he weep over Jerusalem? Saying, if you had known in this day, what day? The day he's coming in, the Messiah, the one prophesied in Zechariah. If you had recognized this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Oh, I am the Messiah. I am, I am the king of the Jews. And when they're saying, Hosanna, shut them up, Jesus. Shut your disciples up. Oh, the stones would cry out, Hosanna, because I am that king. 
but I am that king of peace. And he cries over Jerusalem. You got to remember the significance of Jerusalem. It was the holiest place on the face of the earth. At one point in Bible history. And in Jerusalem, what do you think was the most holy place? But the temple of Solomon where the Ark of the Covenant was. This was the holy city, the great city, Zion. Zion has multitudes of, of meanings. It referred to Jerusalem. It refers to the people of God, the true people of God. And Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, the great city of Jerusalem. Oh, what have you done? If you had only recognized the day of your visitation, why didn't you believe? Why didn't you believe that I was he? Why didn't you trust in me? But because you didn't, and because you killed me in 70 AD. So he prophesies, this is very close to what, Oh, this is the counterpart of Matthew 23, by the way, when Jesus weeps. Matthew says, oh, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. When he says that they will, there will come a time when they will hem you in, throw up, uh, says, they will throw up a bank before you. You know what that means? When you laid siege to a city in ancient warfare, you build up. It took time to lay siege. It took years oftentimes to take a city. But you would build up. Uh, so you got this city with high walls, all right? It would take time for them to build up, build up, build up, build up until they could get over the walls. And there's going to be a time they're going to throw up this bank and you're not going to be able to stop it. And it happened in 70 AD with Titus and the Roman legions. They're going to hem you in. There's going to be no escape. You're not going to get out. Now Jesus told in Luke 21, by the way, he's going to say, when you see that day coming, he says, leave on the housetops immediately. Don't take time and flee the city. And that's why Josephus, Josephus, who was with the Roman army in his Antiquity of the Jews, says that history says that the Christians understood Jesus' uh, word and they fled, guess what? On the housetops, Josephus says, and they went to Pella, a place, uh, Pella, 50 miles in the mountains, and there's no record of any professing Christian perishing in Jerusalem, whereas, one, according to Josephus, 1.2 million Jews died in that siege. So Jesus, Jesus is weeping over the great city of Jerusalem. If only, if only you had understood this was your day to receive me. But since you didn't, it's going to be horrible. Remember we talked about this as we conclude. Remember when uh, later on when Jesus is with Pilate and Pilate can't find any reason to, he says, I find no fault in this man. And he didn't want to do anything to Jesus. So he saw, remember he saw there's a way he could get out by offering because that time of the year they would let a Jew out. So surely if I offer them Barabbas and Jesus, they'll choose Jesus. But they didn't because the Sanhedrin says they filtered among the people saying, when he said, who do you want? So they told him to yell the loudest for Barabbas and that's what they did. And that's when Pilate 
when he saw what was happening, says he washed his hands. What? I am innocent of this man's blood. And they said, okay. In other words, I'm innocent. It's on you. They said, we'll take it. We don't have any problem. On us and our children's head. They had no idea what they had just said. That was terrifying. And they didn't understand the day of their visitation. So, wrapping this up. Jesus did come as the Messiah King. He did come. It was the day of visitation of the Messiah. And he came in peace because he is bringing people to himself. And he is a spiritual Messiah. That's what they failed to see. But hallelujah, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And this Prince of Peace, whom those rejected, You know, on that final day of judgment that Jess has been preaching, those goats, some of those goats are going to be some of those that Jesus says, you were there. You were in that crowd when I came in as the Messiah. This was your day of opportunity, and you blew it. Jess and I were talking afterwards for a little bit. You know, no one can ever say, you know, God has his elect. And God is sovereign, and none of his elect will perish. And no one can be saved if they're not the elect. But there's a mystery in all of this. And the mystery is, come, come while you can. God says in Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Repent that you may live. Choose life. Don't choose death. As he says in Deuteronomy, And I said, there will be no one in hell who can ever say it wasn't their fault. No one. They they will have no one to blame but themselves. That they did not, while they were living in the day of visitation, did not trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus King of kings, Lord of lords, reigning right now and your kingdom of peace is being spread, has spread for several thousand years because you're on high defeating your enemies with the gospel of peace. Cause us to rejoice that our great savior is also our great king and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.